ladies and gentlemen. Whenever I talk with Malcolm X, my 20 minutes seems to go so fast and his so slow, so I'd better get to the point. <laughs> Thank you. What is a Muslim? If you were to walk up 125th Street tonight and wanted to pick out a Muslim, you would look for the most neatly and simply dressed black man that you would see passing 125th Street. If you spoke to him, he would say, yes, sir, no, sir. If you ask him directions, he would be the most polite and efficient person. He does not smoke, he does not drink, he does not engage in illegal activity, and I want to begin this debate by paying great tribute to Malcolm X and to Elijah Mohammed for having brought into the Negro struggle a sense of decency, dignity, and morality which no other movement, including those which I have been most closely associated, have done. But my friends, despite these facts and this great contribution, which is not to be minimized and which ultimately will prove to be a fantastic contribution to the civil rights movement in this country, I must at this point, seriously disagree with some of the assumptions which the Muslim movement is doing. The first thing that needs to be said about the Muslim movement is not about it, but it is about CORE and the NAACP and the Urban League and all of the other organizations for Malcolm X has a following among working-class simple Negroes that none of the rest of them have. He has it fundamentally because of the failures and the middle-class inability of the rest of us to get down where the real black Americans are and to work with them. The other organizations have never gone into the streets and we are now paying for it with the development of a Muslim movement, the dynamic and direction of which I will tell you I seriously disagree with at numerous points. And therefore I would like to begin with what are the lessons that we have learned from the development of this Muslim movement. And the first is that we can no longer be middle class and expect to lead the black masses because they are not middle class, they are in the streets, they are hungry, they are without jobs, they are poor. And unfortunately, only Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad seem capable of going out into the street along with a few black nationalists to identify themselves with them. The civil rights movement needs to learn that men are only going to be moved now when you deal with bread and butter issues. For I am here to tell you that no matter how important interstate travel are, is in the South, you will never build a movement on interstate travel. You have to build it on the kind of travel which those Negroes want, which is the dignity of getting to work and away from work, and not on interstate. We must immediately be able to bring people a personal action. The reason CORE has grown so amongst young people in this country is that it calls upon them to do something today, now themselves, 
and not to contribute two dollars so that some important lawyer can go into the court and speak for them. It is also the matter of discipline. Now it is to these things, as I say, that the, the Muslims have made a great contribution, but negatively. You will note that Malcolm X will make the most brutal analysis, the most true analysis, the most accurate analysis tonight of the brutality which has been visited upon black men. I was in the scouts investigating the Till murder. I have been on the chain gang. I have been arrested in most of the southern states. And everything he says in that analysis will be true. And we can have no argument on the brutality that has been visited upon my people. But, that what follows in Malcolm's program is unfeasible, infeasible, utilitarian, and does not in fact ultimately give the Negro people a way to be associated in the struggle. It therefore, precisely because it is a good analysis, but without an adequate program, will gender engender mistrust and ultimately a kind of dislike and ultimate hate of white people. Because you must give people not only an analysis of how brutal white people have been, but the dignity of knowing today in the economic, social, and political realm there is a way in which they can dig down into that and demand their dignity. I maintain that the Muslim movement is utilitarian. It is utopian. Where is such a state coming from? As much as the southern reactionaries would like to give us the idea they want to kick Negroes out of here, they will be the last to do it. Is this black state going to come in Africa? If so, I can show you El Puma or Azikawe. Are not going to give one into territory to it. Where is it going to come from? What is the political objective? To get a state, but simultaneously to tell your people to refrain from political action and outline for them no political program, but to give them instead a kind of reverse racism which makes them feel in some way, historically and otherwise, that somehow or other perhaps they are the chosen people. This is no answer for a political program and a political form of action for the political objective of, a, of getting a state. Malcolm X will tell you that he hopes that the Senate will vote billions of dollars for the setting up of this Negro state. I maintain that this is utopia. Economically, Malcolm X will tell you how when Negroes own theaters, little restaurants and laundries and the like, that this is some way in which they can economically deal themselves in the American situation. Now, I maintain, Malcolm, that the Chinese have owned laundries and restaurants for a very long time. But it doesn't seem to me that this is the basis for their establishing a separate state somewhere. Uh, we can, particularly when Negroes themselves want all the things that you need steel, steel mills for, and obviously I don't think the Negroes are going to be happy in this state unless you can produce automobiles, amongst other things. 
Next is the fact that there is a reverse psychology here. A reverse psychology. They treated us that way. They cut us out. Therefore, we have to turn around somehow and, and respond to this by cutting them out. And I shall come to this point in a moment because I think this is the fundamental problem of the whole. The Muslim movement, movement is a movement of withdrawal from the real struggle by its own limitations of black first, black only, black business. It is dedicated in this time when every black man should be fighting to a principle of avoidance. For in the social struggle, there is inevitable and essential conflict, economic and social. And even if the Muslims were to get a state someday, they would only get it out of travail, an economic and social struggle, and they have no program. It is not a program to tell people to buy black or to set up restaurants, or to own laundry. That is not a political program. I am for all of that, but that is not it. Change requires power, and that power for any group will be a violent power in which they are talking about guns, or some other method which depends on violence, or it will be a method which depends on non-violence. And the fact of the matter is, People have to be put into action for whatever you are trying to achieve. And the Muslims actually do not have any program. I sometimes suspect that way in the back of their minds is some ultimate battle which must be fought. But if so, people should be educated now as to what that battle is, how it is to be fought, what the methods are to be used if you are talking about getting a homeland somewhere in this world. The Jews did not get a homeland because they asked for it, but because they fought. Now, their movement depends on authority, and they would set up a theocratic state. Is Elijah Mohammed or Malcolm X to tell me and you, if we go to that state, how we are to think? If this state is to be basically a Muslim state, then I don't want to be in that state because I want to be able to cry out for academic freedom, civil liberties, and justice without being told that I am crying out against God. And in a theocratic state, I would have my head chopped off because I would not be still. But I would be in the danger of being told this is not in keeping with what Elijah Muhammad wants. The movement depends, depends on authority. It cannot establish in the United States because of its basic attitude to white people and lies in the struggle. It is a mistake to think that the Negro by his own bootstraps can deal with a complicated economic and social system for justice in a free state or integration because he does it himself. You must have a lie. But if you are against cooperation with white people, you cannot get an ally in the churches. If you are against cooperation with white people, you cannot get a lie in the labor movement. Where are these allies coming from? And this adds also to the political unreality of the thing. 
On the contrary, these movements can and will be used by liberals to excuse, by fascists to disrupt, and by demagogues to grasp power, and by all reactionary forces in this country to retard those movements which are relevant. And I call to your attention. For example, a month ago, a Washington newspaper reported that Rockwell, a avowed fascist, had contributed $20 to the Muslim movement. I asked Malcolm X about this six weeks ago at Howard University when we debated. He did not answer me. But I want an answer for this reason. A few days later in Washington, a daily reported that in an interview with Rockwell, he praised Malcolm X and announced that in 1972, when he became president, <laughs> under Elijah Mohammed, he was going to send all Negroes to Africa, set up a billion-dollar industrial state for them. Now, that doesn't bother me, but the next thing does. <laughs> this same Rockwell, in the same interview, the Rockwell who had sent a hate bus when Jim Peck, our friend, was getting his head beaten in in Addison. He sent a hate bus to meet him. This man then goes on to promise in the same interview that when he becomes president in 1972, he will put all Jews in the gas chamber. Now, my friends, I know Malcolm X. He is no fascist. I am merely pointing out that if you do not have an adequate program, and if you do not out rely upon the progressive allies, you throw yourself open to being utilized by these people who have no interest in what we are doing. The Muslim movement basically fails to see the real problem. The problem can never be stated in terms of black and white. I am here to tell you in a showdown I will stand with Jim Peck sooner than I will stand with many Negroes I know. For he will get his head busted in as I've seen it done on three occasions. The problem is man's injustice to man. It will become the thing it hates most. That is the danger of the Muslim movement. That it itself will come and adopt a superiority, except it will be a black one as against a white one. Now, I ask you, who has the right to limit my rights of association? Who can tell me who my friends ought to be? And yet the Muslims denounce my friend Jim Farmer because he is married to a white woman, and they call the kind of thing which Jim Peck did in Aniston, where Negroes and whites, in the name of humanity, not black or white, were literally burnt to death, they denounce him in their paper, Mohammed Speaks. How can you do this? No movement who determines who my friends are to be is the movement which I can understand. Now, the best Muslim contribution has been the fight against depravity in the Negro community. I salute Malcolm X for breaking down all kinds of sexual immorality and dope and stealing and prostitution in Harlem. But he's losing a battle. 
So the dope, the stealing, the prostitution is an integral part of segregation. And you cannot ultimately win it. But in Montgomery, where the people became active themselves, a creative form of dealing with depravity came about because the people were involved in the bus protest out of their new dignity because they were standing up and they were fighting for their rights. Crime was reduced 50%. You cannot do this merely by preaching for the job that has already been done. Now, this is, within this context, the reason I believe that this will be a losing battle. And in my rebuttal, I should like to do the following. To tell you what I think the real struggle of our time over the Negro problem is. But to put it clearly now so you will understand the framework within which I put it. No black men ultimately shall have freedom in this country. No Chinese. No Puerto Ricans. Until we have reorganized the social and economic and political life of America. Democratization and socialization the Negro cannot do alone. He can contribute greatly toward it. He can contribute vastly toward it. And any movement which begins by blocking out the active cooperation of the best minds, many of which are white as well as black, as to the nature of the new society we need to have here, the process of socialization which we need to have here is unrealistic and fighting a losing battle. For the problem for the Negro is now to emerge and himself to create allies who will stand with him for progress. I call this method the method of social dislocation and regardless as to what Malcolm says, I shall spend my ten minutes in rebuttal telling you about that. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, to whom all praises do, whom we forever thank for giving America's 20 million so-called Negroes the most honorable Elijah Muhammad as our leader, our teacher, and our guide. Uh, Mr. Moderator, Reverend Harrington, and Dr. Rustin, and our brothers and sisters and friends here at the Community Church, we are very thankful for the opportunity to represent to you that which is being taught here in America today by the honorable Elijah Muhammad as the only solution to the problem that faces Uncle Sam today. And Uncle Sam's number one problem, whether it is admitted publicly or not, is Uncle Sam's race problem. And as Dr., as uh, Reverend Harrington pointed out, actually I wasn't born Malcolm Little. Little is the name that the white man who owned my grandfather during slavery uh, put upon him to identify him as his property.
And after hearing that which is taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and realizing that that last name actually was not my name, but rather was the name of the last white man who owned my grandfather, I gave it back to him along with his religion. As Dr. Rustin has uh, pointed out, actually, I didn't know that we were going to debate the Muslim movement. I thought maybe we were going to de debate the merits of integration and separation, and uh, because it's more important. Usually, you'll find here in America the so-called Negroes who want integration. They're depending upon the white man to solve their problems. Those who want separation are depending upon God. And all you have to do is determine in your own mind who can solve the problem, the white man or God. We who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad have more faith in God than we do in the white man. It is the presence of the white man that has created the problem. And it is the deeds of the white man that has created the problem. And usually the criminal who has committed the crime is never the one to whom you look for a solution to that crime. As for uh, Rockwell, it's true. When uh, Dr. Rustin uh, asked me that in Howard University, I didn't answer it because I didn't get around to it. I didn't attribute that much importance to it. But we who are Muslims and follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and see the overall problem of all black people in America as it is, don't make any distinction between Rockwell and Kennedy. Kennedy preaches one thing and practices another. Rockwell practices what he preaches. And when I say Kennedy, I mean John F. Kennedy. The man who promised all the American so-called Negroes who vote what he was going to do for them when he got in office and has yet to do the first thing that he promised, but has paid off the Negro leadership so that they are silent and say nothing about the promises that he originally made to get Negroes to vote for him. Now, I would like to point out another point before we go any farther. Uh, we who are followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad do not make a choice between integration and segregation. Segregation doesn't enter into the picture at all. We are for separation, not, not segregation. Segregation, as we're taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, is that which is forced upon inferiors by superiors. Separation is done voluntarily by two equals. When you find an all-white school, they don't call it a segregated school, they call it a separate school. When you find an all-Negro school, they call it a segregated school because it was set up by the white man. If it was an all-black school that had been set up by the black man himself, run by the black man himself, with the curricula that they follow, uh, put in the school by the black man himself, they would call it a separate school. And it would be just as independent and on equal, equal basis with the white school. But because the Negro schools in Harlem have been set up by the white man himself on an inferior basis with inferior teachers in inferior buildings, it's a segregated school. And we don't go for any form of segregation any more than Dr. Rustin does. 
But if we turn around and try and integrate with the man that set up the segregated system, we would try. We would be trying to integrate with the criminal who's responsible for that crime. So we separate from him. As a follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, we are seeking complete separation from the white man. This doesn't mean we're anti-white. We're seeking complete separation from the white man's religion. It doesn't mean we're anti-Christian. We're seeking complete separation from his God. It doesn't mean we're anti-whatever his God is. We're seeking complete separation from his society. And it doesn't mean that we're against his society, but it has given us so much hell while we were in it, our intelligence teaches us that we should withdraw from it. And we are, as followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, we are seeking complete separation from the white man's government. And I specifically say white man's government because the black man has had no part in it other than as a tool or a stool or a parrot or some kind of flunky at the highest level. So since this is the only part we see any hope of our ever playing in the white man's society, in the white man's government, in whatever system the white man has, we withdraw from it, not because we are hostile, but we see that this is the only way that we can solve the problem by withdrawing from it and detecting the problem ourselves, among ourselves, with the help of our God. Now you may say, well, why are we, why do we want to withdraw and separate from everything that the white man stands for? Because as I foresaid, we believe in God. And we believe in all of God's prophets. We believe in the scriptures that the prophets brought forth on this earth. And according to the biblical scriptures and the Quranic scriptures, we believe that America is doomed. We don't see any hope for America. We believe that because of the seed that America has sown, America must reap this harvest someday. And whereas most people saw how Rome reaped as it sowed, how the Babylonian Empire reaped as it sowed, as the uh, many great empires, the Egyptian Empire reaped as it sowed, the people in America today are so subjective in their reluctance to uh, analyze the problem that they're in, they can see that the same as those nations in the past had to eventually reap as they sowed, that they themselves must someday run into this same harvest. And as black people here in America who were born among white people, lived among white people, watched white people in all uh, uh, walks of their particular lives, we feel that the white man has doomed himself. His attitude has brought doom upon himself. His behavior has brought doom upon himself. And this is not some doom that some outside nation on this earth is declaring. It's a doom that God himself is declaring. And as I said, we believe in God. And we believe that if we separate ourselves from the corrupt white society, from the corrupt white government, from the corrupt white man, and turn back toward the religion of our forefathers, and rely upon the teachings of our forefathers, perhaps we can develop a higher sense of morals and a higher sense of decency, which is missing in the white society today, and get the, earn the forgiveness of our God before he steps in and wipes out the white man. And because of the sins that the America has committed against God's people, as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad pointed out in a, a lecture that he made at the Madison Square Garden in Phoenix, Arizona, first public appearance that he made in about six months in, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Sunday, just Sunday past, I was there and heard him. And he said that it's not 
America's attitude toward other nations that's going to cause her doom and destruction. Because those other nations are in a position to defend themselves. But it is America's attitude and treatment of 20 million black people who are defenseless, who are harmless. And because of your indoctrination and brainwashing, uh, brainless, senseless, have no intellect whatsoever of their own where they can think for themselves. And it is because America has taken millions of black people from the East, from their own culture, from their own civilization, and brought them here and stripped them, and brought them down to, an, uh, to the level of an animal, and then turned around and taught them that they were savages in the jungle, cannibals eating people, when they were caught and brought here, this is supposed to justify the American white man's treatment of these people. It's like taking a horse, putting him in a cage, tying him up, and putting another horse on the outside and then tell everybody the horse that's in the cage can't run as fast as the one on the outside. And this is what you have done to the American Negro. You have brought us here and stripped us of everything we once had. You've stripped us of our culture, you've stripped us of our language, you've stripped us of our God, our religion, our, our background. You've cut off our roots, our all ties that we once had with our own kind in the East. And after stripping us of our roots and destroying us as a people, making us become dead as a people, mentally and otherwise, then you point the finger of scorn at us and tell the world that we're not ready for freedom, that we're not qualified for freedom. All praise is due to Allah. And it is for this reason that God is bringing America to her knees. It is for this reason that God is going to judge America. It is for this reason that America is doomed. And it is for this reason that we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad feel that our only hope is not integration with a doomed uh, society, but complete separation from a doomed society. One of the signs that manifests the wrath of God today against America and against the white world period is the upset in nature. Everything that America tries to do today wherein once you were successful in all of your efforts, all of your uh, endeavors were successful. Anything that Uncle Sam put his hand on turned to gold. Everyone bowed to Uncle Sam. Everyone respected Uncle Sam. But not because I say so, but for fact, today the shoe is on the other foot. The whole world is turning its back on Uncle Sam. The whole world is looking down on Uncle Sam. The whole world looks at Uncle Sam with contempt and with increasing hatred. Why? Because Uncle Sam is the earth's leading hypocrite. The number one hypocrite on this earth is Uncle Sam. South Africa practices what it preaches. Russia practices what it preaches. Franco Spain practices what it preaches. It's a dictatorship. It doesn't preach freedom. South Africa doesn't preach freedom. Or Russia doesn't call itself the leader of the free world. It's America that looks upon herself and represents herself as the leader of the free world while she has 20 million black people here who aren't even citizens. 20 million black people here. How can you 
and your government and your government leaders stand up in the United Nations and point the finger at, at South Africa for practicing what it preaches. It preaches a proud hide and it practices a proud hide. It preaches the inferiority of the races and it practices the inferiority of the races. Whereas you preach one thing and practice another thing. You say that this is a land of equality and 20 million of your black citizens, so-called citizens, don't have equality. You say that this is a land of freedom and 20 million black people here don't have freedom. You say that this is a land of justice and 20 million black people here don't have justice. And the government from the Supreme Court, the Senate and the Congress and the President on up or down is not able to combine to bring about any change in the attitude of white America toward black America. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that because we poor black people here in America are powerless, defenseless, harmless, not, even, not, not only are we not able to defend ourselves or protect ourselves or launch any offense, we have to rely on God. And we have a God today who is on our side just as Moses and his people 4,000 years ago in the land of bondage had a God on their side. And just as Daniel in Babylon, along with his people, had a God on their side, we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in America, we take the uncompromising stand that we do because we feel that God is on our side.